Let us pray together. Dear God, your scriptures tell us that you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. How we long for a deeper awareness and experience of this reality. And so in this season of Lent, we open ourselves to you and ask that you would bring each one of us more fully home to yourself. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In our Lenten theme song this this season, we hear these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. As a young adult returning to faith and to God after a very long absence, I remember singing those words. I think I was singing them actually in our teaching unit in China and feeling like they were mine. Isn't that the gift of a great hymn? Is you feel like someone is just speaking for you. Expressing both my sense of wandering and the joy of finally coming home to God. And I felt the very same way about that time, singing Amazing Grace, about the grace that saved a wretch like me, and how I rejoiced when I learned that in older English, a wretch does not mean a despicable person unworthy of God's love. Don't ever sing it thinking that. It means a wanderer. Someone who's lost their way. Someone who is in exile. Someone who is homeless. Our worship theme this Lent invites us to find our own life story in all the stories in Scripture of God's people wandering, sometimes because they're incredibly lost, and other times because they are being led, but always coming home to God in some fuller way. We see this pattern most clearly, perhaps, in Jesus' parable, the wonderful parable in Luke 15 that's coming up here in two weeks, about the two wandering sons, the two wandering sons. We all know the story of the younger prodigal son and how he wanders off to a far country and wastes his life on fast times and wild living. What a story it is. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. And then in that far land, he finally comes to himself, doesn't he? I love that word or that line. He comes to himself. 
And then later on, what a homecoming he has. But in that story, it's also possible, we learn, to wander away even while we're still living very close to home. Like the older son. And to waste our lives on bitterness and resentment and joyless living. We often overlook that that parable actually ends with the father going out to urge his older son to finally come in and to finally come home as well. Earlier today, we heard the psalmist exclaim, One thing I asked of the Lord, and this I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And later in verse 4, in that same verse, it becomes very clear that this house that he's talking about is the temple in Jerusalem, the holy place where all may go to commune and to connect with God. But a few years back, Henry Nouwen, the Dutch writer, helped me to see that this house of the Lord, to see this house of the Lord not only as a physical place in, far, in a faraway land, but as a relationship that is near and open to all of us wherever we may be. And how may we enter into the house of the Lord? Through prayer. Through worship. Through scripture. Through giving and receiving service. Through gathering together in community. Nowen says that our world is gripped by a mighty and profound homesickness. Homesick. Or if you've been reading Gregory Boyd, what's that German word? Come on, help me out. Sehnsucht. Remember? A restless homesickness. Bono said it so well, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And in our wandering, you and I invariably shack up in many other houses. The house of fear. The house of shame. The house of bitterness. The house of violence and the house of greed. That's a big house in our nation. Dear friends, when you get home today and you open your Sunday morning paper, I invite you to look at the headlines about our world, about our nation, about this current election, and ask, your how, ask yourself, what house are they and are we living in? Nowen says that the most important question 
for every human being is, where are you living? Where are you living? Whose house? So let me ask us to ponder that question ourselves. Where have we been living lately? In some house of horrors? Or in the house of the Lord? God's house of forgiveness and grace and abundant living. In our reading from Genesis 15, as you can see on the beautiful bulletin covers that Tasha has been making for us, if you look at her notation, you'll see that in the story of Abram, we're taken, we're being taken way back. 4,000 years ago to Abram, later renamed Abraham. And we're taken with him on his journey with Sarai to a new homeland. And then when we hear about a smoking pot and a flaming torch passing through animal carcasses sliced in two, my goodness, we're taken to a very strange world in the long, long ago past, aren't we? Reading about things, Near Eastern practices that we hardly know or understand. Maybe we don't ever want to know them. But dear friends, some things just never change. Did you notice that in our story it begins in verse 1 with God calling Abram to move out of his house of fear? He lived there too sometimes. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield. Now God does not mean here that Abram will never face danger. God does not mean that Abram will never face illness or trouble. He will through his whole life. What God covenants here promises is that God's presence will always be with Him. Helping Him and us to live through our ordeals with faith and hope and love. Bogus bogus religion... Promises that we'll never have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It ain't true. And you can read all about bogus religion in the article that Daryl sent out about the prosperity gospel this week. True religion promises something very different. It promises that through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. But grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace is going to bring me home. Or to quote Psalm 23, 
Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because God is intimately with us. Guiding and sustaining us. And because God is with us, no matter what life may throw at us, we experience goodness and mercy following us, trailing after us, nipping at our heels all the days of our lives. And we discover that dwelling in the house of the Lord is a reality that begins now. Here. And extends out into eternity. While visiting an inmate in jail this past Friday, he told me this. I've discovered that I can live in God's house even here in prison. Even here in prison. I found myself remembering this week Jim Omstutz's sermon three weeks ago. It's been rippling in our conversations. Have you noticed that? Big impact. He shared how our city's housing first, housing first approach to homelessness seeks to provide folks with housing as quickly as possible, and then and only then to connect them with the services they need. Why? Why? Because often these folks find homelessness so traumatic that they are not able to have the energy they need to access services and to get the help they need to find a job until they have a roof over their head. At the winter's shelter a couple weeks ago, I met a circle of eight women for a time of scripture reading and prayer and noticed how many of their prayer requests were for a home. Having a home is crucial to our human flourishing. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Down in that basement of the women's shelter, the scripture that I shared with him that night was the story of Jesus looking out over our city and saying, Lancaster, Lancaster, how often have I desired to gather you in like a hand gathers her brood under her wings. Tell me, folks, is there a more tender and intimate image for God's love for us than in that passage? N.T. Wright, the English bishop and scholar, says that after a fire, farmers sometimes find a dead mother hen, blackened and scorched, with her live chicks still protected under her sheltering wings. 
In the same way, Jesus in our story now heads into the fire of Jerusalem and toward the cross. Did you notice in verse 35 in that story what Jesus says after He invites all of us to come under His wings? He says, see, your house is left to you. The temple, the physical sanctuary is being set aside and Jesus is now offering Himself to become our new home. In John 15, He makes this even more clear when He invites us to abide in Him, to live in Him, to dwell in Him, to make Him our home sweet home. And it's never, never too late to do so. Next week, we'll be hearing our dear brother Richard Carney share about his spiritual homecoming two weeks shy of his 84th birthday. Praise God. It's never too late to come home. Let me close by asking again the crucial question we heard before. Friends, where are we living these days? To become a follower of Jesus requires a radical change of address and residence. It means leaving our old shabby houses of fear and hatred and mistrust and finally moving into God's house of love and ongoing transformation. A follower of Jesus is someone who has finally come home to God, where peace resides and from which peace flows out into our world. And in this home, we meet many new friends, like all of you who become dear and precious to us. We're not going to have an altar call this morning. But if you're needing to come home to God, whether for the first time or in some fuller way, nothing would make Samantha or I happier than to pray with you after worship today. Just let us know. Abiding in Jesus... Praying without ceasing, communion, finding our home in God, all these things are pointing us to the same amazing reality. The house of the Lord is not only meant to be our eternal destination someday, it's also meant to be our ever-present reality. Right here. And right now. Amen.